Hello and welcome to the Current Exchange, NatWest Market Podcast, where we break down the major themes of events driving FX markets this week and in the weeks ahead. There was no mistaking the big focus for this week. It was definitely the Bank of England uh, rate decision, which came hot off the heels of a surprisingly strong UK CPI print. Today, I am joined by our European head of uh, G10 FX strategy, Paul Robson, who has been kept very busy this week with Sterling Dandics. I mean, Paul, you know, we obviously had the May CPI print where, you know, inflation actually failed to fall further in May. Uh, but saying that it did seem like, you know, the Bank of England 50 basis point rate decision did cause some market reaction. What did you make of the decision itself? Well, I think the decision itself was just hawkish. I think it had a sort of sense of crossing the Rubicon, as our chief uh, UK economist, Ross Walker, sort of uh, described it. Obviously, we've got the 50 basis points taking policy to 5%. Uh, the vote count, 7 to the two people who voted for no change, but uh, the others all voted for the uh, 50 basis points. We didn't have um, any new forecasts. We didn't have a press conference to sort of delve into the decision. So we were just left with the the statement and the minutes. But when we looked at those um, in totality, um, they, it just sounded hawkish. They were talking about more persistent second round effects. They were talking about stronger than expected data inflation numbers that you sort of referenced as well. The labor market data, um, strong. And when you put that all together, it, it felt like they weren't done uh, by raising rates 50 basis points and they look on track ultimately to validate uh, market uh, expectations. So generally um, uh, hawkish across the, the board. And there was also other points. They were just saying that inflation's too high. They just ne- need to get on top of inflation, raise uh, rates. And if they don't do it uh, quickly, they'll ultimately end up raising more later, more pain for the economy. And in that sense, it, it felt like a ratcheting up of um, guidance uh, and within that um, we've changed our call for the the Bank of England we think that they go 50 basis points in August and back it up by uh, two quarter base um, quarter point um, hikes by the end of the year taking rates back up to six percent which is in line with uh, the market um, I think from here the focus now is going to be about the pass through of the tightening that we've already had. Uh, because the the impact of the the tightening that we've had is really only about twenty five percent of what we're ultimately going to get as um, mortgage um, mortgages are reset. Uh, two year mortgages rolling off and that were set two years ago when interest rates were very low, uh, they're likely to be obviously a lot higher, and and that will ultimately have a an impact on the economy. And just watching to see how that impacts and how quickly. Uh, will be important uh, for the rate outlook and ultimately the currency thing. Yes, we really only started to feel the pain, I guess, is the the message. I mean, you say the meeting was hawkish, uh, but steering it quite an odd reaction. So it did spike higher immediately, uh, but it's now trading lower after the decision. What do you think kind of is driving this reaction of sterling? Well, I think it's this battle between the sort of positive impact of higher yields, relative yields, interest rate uh, differentials. And as we sort of talked about in the past, the the collateral damage of the Bank of England's attempts to get inflation sustainably back to to target. Um, And that balance is particularly important for the UK and sterling because 
the UK runs a current account deficit and it's important that growth is sufficiently strong to attract capital uh, into the the economy. So I think markets are just trying to work out which is uh, the right way to go forward. Um, Over the last six months, over the last couple of years, apart from a brief period last summer with the distrust government, sterling has been positively correlated with yield. So higher interest rates plays positive for the, the currency. But we are wondering whether we are now just at the tipping point where people start to talk about stagflation. So that idea that you're going to have weak growth, quite high inflation, you're going to have high uh, interest rates. And we may well now get um, several quarters of back-to-back declines in uh, output of the the economy, for example, and sort of teetering on the brink of um, uh, recession. Um, I think over and above that, though, we, we just have to be a little bit mindful as we run into the summer about the absolute high level of yields for the, the UK, because for some, that's just going to be quite attractive. You know, the UK is going to have the highest yields of the major uh, economies. And as we go into the summer where maybe markets are a bit quiet, volatility is low, uh, and I would describe that as a sort of carry to bowl ratio, but really just means that interest rates are high relative to the moves that are expected in currency markets. And that might just make um, sterling a little bit more attractive to some types of investors. But based generally, uh, we think that it's going to be those downside risks of growth within the context of the current account deficit that's going to start weighing on uh, the currency. And particularly against those where you've got sort of higher levels of growth and yield, but inflation is coming uh, lower. So might be a little bit of a tricky uh, summer for sterling. Yeah, I like that kind of contrast between, you know, what where interest rates are and what growth is doing. It's very different kind of tightening way the growth is kind of firing on all cylinders in a very different narrative um, where you're facing stagflation risk, as you say. Um, I mean, apart from yields, kind of, and you kind of alluded to it, what do you think the longer term drivers are of sterling are? Well, I think there's, there's three that sort of jump out to me while we're sort of um, thinking about that sort of relative growth yield story. Uh, one is just simply valuations. I mean, apart from valuations against the euro and the dollar, sterling is actually really quite high. And I think for a number of types of investors or corporates, I think they'll see sterling too high and may look to sort of fade that that strength. Um, I, I'm sort of thinking about you know Norway uh, and Sweden, but even the Japanese yen. I, I can imagine that hedging strategies or activity. Uh, starts to to pick up. So that's certainly going to be one focus for me. Uh, the other one is just simply purchasing power parity. They're not something that we talk about often, but it's a very simple and fundamental concept for currency. It's this idea that if an economy has higher inflation relative to other economies, then the exchange rate has to fall to keep the economy with the higher inflation competitive. And of course, we've got this persistently high inflation in the UK. You know, that might not matter today or tomorrow, but over a sort of multi-quarter basis, sterling is going to start looking expensive. And we think that that uh, ultimately matters. Um, And the final point that we're focused on, and it's a little bit more positive here, is that sort of balance of payments position, that current account position. The UK has had this 
persistent, large current account deficit, which is always a, a headwind for the, the economy. Um, but things are improving there. So we've we've talked a lot over the last six months about falling energy prices, imported uh, uh, price of energy, helping the, the balance of payments. Um, but there's underlying improvement in the balance of payments. So if you just strip out fuel and precious metals, things that are sort of very volatile, the UK is actually running just about a balanced trade position in goods and services. Um, and I think there's a perception in markets that the UK always um, the UK always has a, a big deficit, and, and that's ultimately changing. And if we do get this sort of weaker growth in the UK relative to the rest of the world, the net trade shifts in favour. So we're going to be exporting more here in the UK and maybe importing less, for example, consumer goods. And again, that's going to be uh, important. And of course, outside of COVID, we're having this shift from purchasing um, goods, so electronics. You know, we're all sitting at home during COVID, um, sort of buying things for the kitchen and things like that. My kitchen is full of things I will never, ever uh, use uh, again. And we're out and about. And the import component of services is less than imported um, goods. And again, so that's something I think on a multi-quarter Basis. I think by the time we get to the end of the year, when we're thinking about top themes for 2024, um, I think that might be actually quite an important theme for studying. So a few headwinds, uh, but maybe things are getting a little bit better on the trade side. And also, I like the point that you know, monetary policy does work. It high interest rates depress demand, and that reduces imports and brings about a fundamental correction. It would be a very big thing. For um, and just kind of extrapolating, I guess, against that, against those kind of major themes, how does that play out within kind of European currencies kind of on the whole? Well, I think for just currencies um, generally, um, as you know, we've had these sort of three themes for 23. We've been talking about European energy prices coming lower. We talked a lot about um, peak Fed, a pause in the, the Fed. And we also talked a lot about China's reopening. And that's important for European uh, currencies. And I have to admit that they've been really good friends in terms of thinking about currency markets through this year. Um, but they are now mature and they're no longer having the impact on global currencies that they they had. And like a lot of friends, when when then you, you miss them when they're they're gone. And I'm certainly missing those as a theme for helping um, markets. Um, but it is this, I think, for markets uh, and currency markets in particular, late policy tightening and the central banks and how that impacts currencies. And certainly front and center of that. That's definitely um, impactful. But there's other currencies and central banks that we've been thinking about this week. Just think about uh, Norway. Uh, Norway's bank delivered 50 basis points. The RBA a few weeks ago, it's quick, quick, slow. They sort of were pausing, then they were hiking aggressively, and then they're only hiking uh, less aggressively. And so how that plays out, the sequencing the, the relationship between growth, how quickly inflation comes down and the level of yield, I think that that's going to be uh, important. But it, it feels like that's the differentiation between the major currencies is particularly, it's going to be less than, say, for example, in emerging markets. And I, I certainly look at your currencies and I wonder uh, whether you know, those high yielders where growth is holding up relatively well, in fact, the opportunities actually in your currencies are, are, are more prevalent than they are 
uh, in mine at the moment. I, you know, completely kind of, um, kind of understand what you're saying in terms of it's a narrative about, you know, how wanting policy tightening is that. Um, so, for example, you know, in Hungary, they're actually the first tradable emerging market that actually started easing, um, and they cut again this week by 100 basis points and with inflation, you know, above 20%. You think this would be so detrimental for the currency, but actually the Hungarian foreign is doing incredibly well, it's being very resilient. And it's about communication. They've kind of convinced markets that, you know, there's a lower bound to how much they will cut. You know, they're they're coming out and they're being very credible to, to markets and kind of um, saying that they will kind of stick to policy meetings and give them particular guidance. So I think it's not just about almost, you know, the tightening or the easing itself, what they're doing, raise it, raise it. It's how they communicate it. It's that narrative, it's that pace, um, which is really kind of, front and center now as we either approach the end of the tightening cycle or as we start the easing cycle for some. But on that note, I think that is all we have time for today. Um, Paul, thank you so much for joining us on a very tumultuous day for Sterling. Um, Guys, thank you so much. That is the end of the episode for today. If you did like, please press the like button to let others know and do remember to subscribe so you get the latest episode first. Thanks again.